I just want to open with a word of prayer. God, this morning I want to know your truth, even if it means I have to change. I'm willing to learn whatever you have to show me and to do whatever you have planned for me. In your name I pray. Amen. I'm going to scoot this forward because I'm too far from you guys. Good morning again. It is good to be here. Uh, as you can tell this morning, we're going to talk about mission. And we're, I'm going to challenge us and I want to lay out us to perhaps rethink mission. Rethinking it. Rethinking the idea of it. Rethinking our mission. Rethinking why are we here. Rethinking maybe this whole concept that we've built up within our church structure, maybe within your church life. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe this is your first time ever coming, but you've heard about these churches who do good things in different places and, and wonder why do they do it and what is the motivation. And, and perhaps today this will be a good opportunity to help us rethink that piece. And, and it's uncomfortable. I've got to be honest. Today, there's portions of the sermons that are uncomfortable for me. Um, they, they, they're hard to talk about. Because they feel really personal. And in, in our society, they almost feel judgmental. Uh, and so please understand, there is no, nothing judgmental coming uh, out to you. It is really coming back on me and a challenge to me in my own life. It's uncomfortable, especially because some of the things we're going to talk about today clash with our cultural expectations and our cultural okays and not okays. It just smacks straight into the face of it. But that is the gospel. The gospel is many times confrontational. The gospel is something that we run into and, and we look at it and we like to dismiss it because if we don't, then things have to change or, or perhaps we're not going to be able to fit as nicely as we would and hide as nicely as we would within our culture at large. But we must be true to the gospel regardless of what we do. We must be true to the word of God and even sharing the uncomfortable things. So this morning, I want to talk about rethinking, and, and we should be used to it. We rethink a lot of things, don't we? Some of us, we rethink hairstyles. My wife outed me on a picture my senior year. You guys remember Saved by the Bell? I had a hero. His name was Zach Morris. My hair reflected that. Uh, it's, not, it's uncomfortable, you know. Uh, we rethink a good-paying job. You Remember? When you're maybe 16 years old, maybe the first time you're able to get a job, and you thought, I'm going to make $8.50 an hour. $8.50 an hour. Bala! I mean, you're just like, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to have like a, a wad of cash in my pocket so thick, I'm going to like limp on one side. That was, that was the goal. And I know we got tough economic times, so $8.50 an hour may be sounding really good again, but that was it, man. But we get a little bit later in our career and, and things change a little bit. Our perspective, you know, uh, th that ideal job where you got to work, you know, seven hours a week and then you have the rest off is not exactly what we're looking for right now. Uh, rethink cars. I remember my first. It was a 1980 Ford Fairmont. The best way I can describe it was it had four cylinders and that's about it. Uh, the outside was this, I called it gunmetal gray. But pretty much, I'm sure it was Bondo Gray. I polished that as much as I could, and still, it was the dullest thing you've ever seen. It had seats on the inside that were vinyl, that whenever you took the corner, you slid across. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you armor-alled it, so you're just like sliding back and forth as you're driving. That was my car. And, oh, I was so happy. Oh, I was thrilled for that thing. But things change. You rethink. Okay, what is your ideal? Uh, maybe, maybe those who are married, uh, before you got married, you thought about, man, this would be my ideal spouse. And then you went out and dated that ideal person. You go, I need to rethink that thing. And then you marry that glorious person who you're with today. You rethink. You do it. It's, it's, it's part of who we are. If we don't rethink, then basically we're just immature people, right? We're, we're just stuck where we were. We're, we're sitting in that same spot. You know, I, I talk to people who, who got burned at one point in the life of whatever, whether it's religion or something else. And they say, man, when I was 17, this happened to me. And man, I, I just... I'm, Still holding on. I'm like, you're 30 years old. You are 30 years old. And you were going back 13 years to your 17-year-old self. And nothing. And 17-year-old friends that are in here, I'm not dogging. I'm just saying things are going to change. And you are trusting your 17-year-old self to inform your 30-year-old self on how to live life. That's foolish. 
It's absolutely full. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that with our finances. We wouldn't do that with our job. But we often do that with things when it comes to a very personal nature where we got hurt. And I know I'm scratching up here, guys. If it's me, just let me know, okay? So this morning, I'm going to challenge us to rethink something that maybe you've been a part of. I grew up in what's called an independent, fundamental Baptist church. Anybody else there with me? Kyle, I know you're there. Come on. Yeah, we, we grew up. I grew up. Now, an independent, fundamental Baptist church, God bless them. Uh, my dad's still a pastor there. I love, I love the heart. I love it. And we did a thing that was called Faith Promise. And so you would give your money and you, we would commit to so much a year to missionaries. And a lot of independent, fundamental Baptist churches, the idea was to support as many missionaries as you possibly could. So you could have a big mission board with lots of pins in it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go visit one. You'll be like, what is this? That's what Sean was talking about. It's just a map of the world with pins everywhere. And so they support them at 10 bucks a month, man. And it's awesome, sort of, unless you're the missionary. And, and so they have 50 missionaries supported at $10 a month. And, and praise God they're doing it. But it is a big deal. Missions. The missionary, and, and being the son of a preacher, they would come into our house. And they'd sit down. And I remember looking at this one guy. And he was from Korea. And I'm sitting there, I'm just, my eyes are just wide open. He's telling some of his stories, and I'm just blown away, man. And then he told me he could get Nikes for $15. Done. God, I'm going to the mission field. Let's do this thing. Come on, send me. Here am I. Woo! And I remember growing up around missionaries and, and, and you know, having those moments where uh, even national pastors would come, and a gentleman from India named Casey Thomas would come and stay in our house with his kids, and this cross-cultural diversity that was happening, and... That changed my view of mission. That changed my idea of what it meant to be in a foreign land and, and who those people really were. But the concept and the idea of how we support and how we go and what we do, a lot of times mission was all about them over there as opposed to me right here. And that's where I want to push against a little bit today. And I'm not asking you to make any changes, okay? So just... It's all right. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just asking you just to think about it. Let's just chew on it a little bit. And perhaps maybe there's some things that we need to alter in our lives and maybe even our approach. One of the primary reasons I think we need to rethink mission is because mission has become a movement rather than a calling. We hear about the missions movement. It's going around, but it is not that. It is a calling. It has moved from a personal passion to a religious obligation. At one point, it was young men and women whose souls were so focused and passionate to please God that they took the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel as their battle cry of their entire life and accept their compass for the only heading they could, and that heading was wherever God wills. They were passionate. It wasn't that these young people, and most of them were very young people, were giving up so much. It's that they had finally found something worth giving their lives to. And what they were leaving behind did not compare to what they were going towards. After a while, something happened. We began to see missionary missions as a job option. I'll go work for that nonprofit. Oh, well, this is the job I want to go on. Well, this is just, it's just like I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a missionary. And it became that. I don't know how that happened. But it did. Maybe it was the pay scale, maybe because people were paying for it. We began to see it not as a personal command given to us by God for each of us to follow, but a job option. When I look at young men and young women who have just given their lives, I love reading autobiographies of guys like C.T. Studd, one of the great uh, athletes of, of England back in his day. Amazing, could have, could have made a fortune. His father was incredibly wealthy. And he said, I want something more, man. He got with another group of guys in the Cambridge Seven, took off across the ocean and served in Asia. And young men and women who said, yeah, we know we could have that. But it doesn't even compare to this. But what about your financial concerns? What about all this? My God shall provide all, his, all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That was their command. 
I don't know where it, it curved off. And, and where as a church, perhaps we, we missed it. And when I say church, I mean capital C church, as in the, the, the greater Christian body across the world. What happened? Because somewhere along the line, we began to outsource winning souls. That's their job. Let, let them do it. I pay them my $10 a month to do that for me. Instead of realizing that we have been called to this great and amazing thing that we should grasp and go after and totally let it infect every aspect of our lives so that we can't turn right or left, look up or down without it invading it. But we're all on a mission. Every one of us. We're all on some sort of mission. Now, a mission is an assigned task or a calling. It's an assigned task or a calling. Now, we're either on our mission, someone else's mission, or God's mission. We're on one of three. Now, our mission is pursuing our goals, our dreams, our desires. Living life to the fullest. YOLO. You guys know what I'm talking about? Under 18, maybe tough. YOLO, you only live once. Hashtag. Put it on. You do something crazy. YOLO. Why? Because I'm living life to the fullest, man. Bro, I am expending every spare inch of energy and experiencing everything I can. Because one day it's all over. And you can't live when you're dead. Well, I plan to. It's called eternal life. I'll be there. It'll be much better than anything I could experience here. But let me not over-spiritualize that point. Let me come back. That is the way we've gone. We've taken this American dream. Having it all. Man, we just... We want this stuff, and, and, and it's my right. It's my mission in life. I'm going after it. So what do I set up, and what do I put out there that, man, I'm going to... It's my mission. We want to be known for something, don't we all? I, none of us want to go through life and just be ignored. One of the, some of the loneliest people I've ever met are in the middle of crowds. Just no one knows them. Maybe you've been there. Maybe it was junior high. Maybe it was high school. Maybe it's your workplace currently. Maybe it was college. No one knew you. I remember that slapped me in the face. I went, I went from a small high school in Massachusetts. Literally, there's 52 of my graduating class. I knew everybody. Playing sports, so you got to know a broad variety of people. Walked, hey, what's up, what's up, what's up? I walked onto the campus of Cedarville University, and I'm walking down. Hey, you don't know me. I am such a dork. I'm just going to go sit over here. It, it's awkward. And sometimes we go through our life and we're known, and we're not known, and then we're not known for anything. And it starts to play on our mind that we don't matter. So we try to find something, find that purpose. What is that thing? Is it getting that stuff? Is it doing this incredible thing? Is it saying that witty thing at the right time? It, what is it? Sometimes it's just doing good things for people. Church programs. That's what we're going to get known for. That's our mission. I show up. I'm involved in 17 programs. I'm here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if they invent another day, I will be here eight days a week. And I'm going to serve because that is my mission is to be involved in so many things. Did, did anybody ever go to a church that gave you medals for showing up? The little attendance medals? Anybody ever do that? Anybody else? Okay. With a hat. I always think that's like, such a funny thing. Like you get medals. You know, you just walk in, it's like, you look like, I don't know, it's like a military parade. You walk in and you get all these medals for doing whatever. I memorized 66 books in the Bible. Well, that's amazing. Get a medal. That's it. And we don't get to determine what godly things matter. And so many of these good things and programs, while still good, do not fulfill the call of God to bring his name, glory, and make disciples. So we're doing all this stuff. That's our mission. I'm gonna, you know, and maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you've just come to faith. You're a new follower of, of, of Jesus Christ, a disciple of the way. It's new to you. And so you jump in like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I have to do? Come on, I know there's like, like some kind of club initiation I've got to do here. So, like, well, you've got to plug in here, 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 here. And we forget that while we're trying to accomplish all these things that are man-made, that in fact, that's not really what it's all about. Those are helpful things, but they're not the thing. Sometimes we're on someone else's mission. Serving their desires, aligning with their version of success and purpose. For, for some of us, it could be a boss. 
Some of you have just got a, a boss who, man, they're just pressing you and you want to impress them. So you're working 67 the hours a week, much to the chagrin and loss of your family. And you're working and grinding. I'm showing them I'm a trooper and you're doing things that aren't your job. They're paying you for 40, but you're working 70. And, but, and not that you shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying that. But what we're missing out on, that is the person. Whatever they say, I do. You're willing to compromise who you are just to get in their good graces. Maybe, maybe it's your parents. The dreams they've had for you since you were little. Maybe it's just like, all right, mom, dad, want me to do this. I want to do this. I, I can't help but whenever I see like commercials for toddlers and tiaras to think of that. One of the most ridiculous shows. And then, uh, and, and then I think about some of these Olympians sometimes. You just wonder. Not, not to say they're not, but you just wonder. Get in the pool and swim. Now, but it's ice on top. Get in the pool and swim. You're like, but ma, you know, it's just, maybe it's that. Or maybe it's more subtle. What is the expectation? Or maybe you're, you're an adult. And maybe you have parents in your life who have ridiculous expectations of you. Now that you have your own family. And, but you're just trying to please them, just trying to go along to get along. And, and, and just, I'm trying to honor my parents, but it even goes beyond honoring. Maybe you're living that. Maybe it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Maybe uh, you're single today, and, and maybe you're high school, college, after college, young adult. And there's someone that, man, you want them so bad. You want them to love you, that you are willing to change, switch, contort who you are and what you're about to follow their mission. You'll cross morality lines that you swore you never would, and you put a ring on your finger when you're 15 at that purity conference that said you wouldn't. But because of that person and their pull on your life and their mission for you, you're willing to follow them. Sometimes we'll follow them right out of church. We'll follow them to places in our social life we would never go and be a part of and then take partake of things just so that they love you. Maybe it's, it's a spouse. And, and, and please, I'm not jumping into your marriage. I'm just saying, sometimes it's just controlling. Do this, do this, do this. Hard to please. And, and, you're, and, all, and your mission is just to make them happy. I heard someone wrongly say that the goal of your life, man, is to make your wife happy. Absolutely not. The goal of your life is to help her be godly and allow God to bring her contentment and joy. The most ridiculous of all these is perhaps it's a celebrity. Celebrity you have never met. They would not even know you if they saw you on the street. On the street. But they say, buy this t-shirt. Buy those shoes. Drink this drink. And you're like, yes, 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 yes. They, they tell you, talk like this. They say, buy a little dog and stuff it in a purse and take it everywhere with you. How ridiculous is that? That is like the dumbest thing ever. And I'm sorry if you did it. I'm sorry, but it's dumb. Because dogs will do things in purses. It's just not a good idea. But people are like, oh my goodness. She has a dog in her purse. It's ridiculous. I fully expected, if you haven't seen Rob Deerdack, when he bought a, a little mini horse, I expected there'd be a sale on mini horses across the country. Why? Well, he has a mini horse. Yeah, put that in your living room. Let me know how that works. But we're living on someone else's mission. They're telling us to do this, that, and the other. Yes, yes, yes. And when that person falls, we switch over here. That person falls, we switch over here. And when they all fall apart, we're left there going, but now what? And so we're constantly looking for a hero. We're looking for that person who we can align with. And then they will give us identity. And we will finally find out who we are. And we'll finally be like, that's it. And in that whole process, we miss it. We miss it. Our entire mission. The third is God's mission. It's God's mission. And our mission, first part, is to bring glory to God. Glory, defined in this context, is opinion, judgment, view, opinion, an estimate, whether good or bad, concerning someone. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us whether then... You eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. First Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks is to do it as one who is speaking the utterance of God. 
Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That people would look at us, our actions, how we talk, where we go, uh, what our relationships. And as a result of viewing our lives and how we do things, they would say it must be God. And we have a good opinion of God. We want to know more about God because of how they're living. When we tie into God's mission, that is a huge part of it. How we salt, light. It talks about those things in the world. We make things savor. We bring light and darkness. Where people desire God because of bumping into us. Having a relationship with us. Where they're like, man, what has she got? Because whatever she's got is good. I want that. Well, man, how does he do that with his family? Whatever he's got, I want that. And we're not putting on a show. It's just an outflow of an inner peace and an inner strength and an inner relationship. People would glorify God because of the way we walk out our lives. Isaiah 24, 15 tells us to glorify God. And Philippians 2, 10 to 11 says this. Here's the deal. If people don't glorify him, now one day they will. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen eventually. But why not now? Because of the people in our interactions. The pro- you know what the problem is, though? So many th- one of the problems, so many times we live, in, we live life with our Christian cluster. And we're not bumping into other people. Or when we're bumping into other people, Jesus isn't rubbing off because we have made their mission our mission. And as opposed to being salt and light and being someone who they're just like, the aroma of God just goes all over them whenever we come. We miss it. So either we're totally away from folks or... Whenever we run into them, we forget who we represent. Second piece is making disciples. Making disciples. Matthew 28, 19. And I'm glad to be part of a church who does desire this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 15 through 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. We're called to make disciples. And, okay, church, let me just throw this out to you, all right? And, and, and this, this is, remember the uncomfortable part? I'm just going to throw it out there so it's like a grenade, but we'll be okay. Who's the last disciple you made? Who's the last disciple that you can say, I discipled her? I discipled him. Who is it? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, this should be a question that we're easily able to answer. And much to my chagrin, there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, not much, man. Not, not anyone lately. Who have you discipled? If that is the command to bring glory to God and to make disciples, I mean, we're just whittling it down. You know, we say, well, what about love the Lord you got with all your heart? That, that's all in this. Who's the last disciple you made? And here's why this is a challenge to us as a church and why we need to rethink this. You ready? Because we have outsourced disciple making. Well, Kyle will take care of that, man. They sing and they got a voice. Kyle takes care of that. Chris will take care of that. Pastor Brad will handle that. Well, that spiritual person. No, 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 no. Go ye means go me. And this piece of this is where we should get excited. We're like, well, what if they ask a question I don't know? Go find it out. There's answers everywhere. Today, in this world, it's the easiest place to find answers. But my question is, this, who is the last disciple you made? The disciple of Jesus Christ. And that should be a challenge to us. It is to me. It hurts. I don't like it. But it's a command. Because we are all called to be on God's mission. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior... We trade our lives and our intents and the things that we desire and what we want. We trade that. We come to Jesus. And this is the picture because a lot of times we've got this thing really twisted where we come in and we say, okay, I am going to accept your salvation and live my life. Absolutely not. We're told. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service. 
And do, me not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12. Here's what it's saying. You ready? Here it is. Here it is. For all of us who maybe went to a, uh, a VBS somewhere that maybe mistaught this or a Sunday school or a church or something, maybe somewhere along the line you ran into this. Let's just set it straight. Here's what it, here's salvation. You ready? Jesus Christ, Son of God, looked down on mankind and had compassion. Was born of a virgin. He was born. 30 years he lived his life sinless on this earth. In his 30th year, he began a ministry of three years where he remained sinless, but he began to do a divine acts of God and grew in wisdom and stature, as it says in the Word. He lived a sinless life. And then in his 33 year, 33rd year, they couldn't take it anymore because his righteousness was so powerful and was so overwhelming that they came and said, this is too much. It's pushing against our religion. It's pushing against us. We will kill him. He allowed himself to be crucified on the cross as a sinless propitiation. The sinless sacrifice, the one who stood in our place and he died. And because his blood was shed and he went into the grave and he rose back up, we can stand here today and say, I give you my life. Do with it whatever you want. I only want you. There is salvation and none other. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the father, but through me. And he only gave one way. It's not about just saying a sinner's prayer. It's about giving our lives away. Dear Jesus, take my life. Whatever you want, I only want you. Forgive me of my sins. You have complete control. It is my sacrifice, my reasonable sacrifice. I give it away. Now, you ready? Here's the piece. Control every aspect. But so many times we invite Jesus into our heart. We give him a little room. We set it up. We put new linens on the bed. Put a little table stand over there with a little nice little lamp. And, and we even, you know, feed him once in a while by reading his word, right? Absolutely not. That is such a small gospel. When he comes in, he transforms. He renews. He wrecks your life in a good way, in a positive way, in a way that you're like, man, I got to do something. I can't just sit back. How can I sit back when I know what I know? How can I sit back when I feel what I feel? How can I sit back whenever all this is going on in the world and I have this answer right here? How can I sit back? If we are truly on God's mission, we have traded our life for the life he has called for us to live. But man, it's so sad that so many of us in Christianity, we have merely just given him a little place to reside. And we open that door on Sunday morning and we close it back up and maybe during our devotionals. But dear God forbid when we stand before him one day and he looks at some of us who think we're living the Christian game and he looks at you and says, yeah, I know you cast out demons in my name. I know you did good things, but I never knew you. Because he asked us to give it all away. And he'll replace it with what he desires. Salvation is the key starting place for pleasing God. John 15, if you want to check it out later, it's really a great passage. It talks about the true vine and the branches. And it says that we must be grafted into the true vine in order to have the Holy Spirit working in with us. And this is so our desires be aligned with God's. Where it's like splitting a vine and taking another one and sticking it into it. And whatever flows to that vine, which is Him, flows into us. Our words should be flowing straight from Him. Yeah, how, I mean, listen to me. Let me just ask that question. How many of us live like that? Most of my days are not like that. Let's just be honest. I wish they were. I messed up, man. I get out of line. I hate it. And then you look back, you're like, you are an idiot, Sean. What are you doing? Because I'm not grafted. One of my friends, Dr. Bill Smallman, who's a missiologist. He's with uh, uh, BMM up in Northeast Ohio. He said it like this, and I love it. He said, when you take Jesus Christ... You come up and you take him with both hands. And you hold tight. Because when I have Jesus Christ with both hands, I can grab nothing else. I want nothing else. And when I pull him close enough to know him intimately, how could I ever compare anything else to him? And I have him so tightly because here's the deal. If we grab Jesus Christ with both hands, what must I do to grab something else? I must what? Let go of Jesus Christ. And say, I want that more than I want him. God forbid. When we grab Jesus Christ with both hands and say, you're all I need. We sing about it. But do we live it? And that looks like we give it all away. Oswald Chambers had a great 
study. He was talking out of Matthew eleven twenty eight, out of the phrase, come to me. And here's what Oswald Chambers said. If you don't, you can get him online. He'll come to your phone in the morning. It's great. It's just a great read. But it says this. Isn't it humiliating to be told that we must come to Jesus? In every dimension in which you are not real, you will argue or evade the issue altogether rather than come. You will go through sorrow rather than to come, and you will do anything rather than to come the last lap of the race of seemingly unspeakable foolishness and say, just as I am, I come. As long as you have even the least bit of spiritual disrespect, it will always reveal itself in the fact that you are expecting God to tell you to do something very big. And yet, all he's telling you to do is come. The Holy Spirit will search out that one immovable stronghold within you, but he cannot budge it unless you are willing to let him do so. How often have you come to God with your request and gone away thinking, I've really received what I wanted this time. And yet you go away with nothing. While all the time, God has stood with his hands, outstretched not only to take you, but also for you to take him. What if? What if we began to take our Christianity seriously? And we just latched on and say, I want nothing else. You're what I want. You're what I desire. You are it. And daily we woke up. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me whatever you want. But many of us, we've forgotten our purpose. We got lost in a world of trying to be successful and significant. And I get that. I want to matter too. I want to leave a legacy. We want to chase things that promise to leave a monument of success in, in our name. And generations to come will look back and say, wow, we forgot. And I think one of the big problems is that we've made the American dream our purpose. James Truslow Adams coined the American dream in his book, The Epic America, a dream in which a man and woman shall be able to attain the fullest stature of which they are innately capable and be recognized by other for what they are. We have spiritualized the American dream by loosely interpreting, uh, interpreting scripture and taking choice sound bites to suit our cause. We know the American dream. And it's, it's evolved and it's grown over the years. But we know what it is. They're going to have the house. You know, going to have, have, the, have the little family. You got dad and you got mom. Going to have the, the car. Going to have the, the money. Just want to make it rain in church, don't you? Sometimes just, just throw it out there. Going to have the money. Maybe you're going to have a few leisure objects. You, you know, maybe, maybe it's, uh, and I want to thank Pastor Brad. He posed for this. So I appreciate it. Maybe it's just... Uh, Sculpting, sculpting the perfect body where, man, you're just healthy and you're just you're just on point. And when you go, when you walk in, man, you know, you know, the guys who walk in, what size do you want? I want a medium. It's like a small medium because it's got to be tight. You know, that's what we want. That's our American dream. Where we walk in and we say, man, once I have that, once I have all that stuff. I provided for my family. I've made it. And we spiritualized it by doing this. We're like, well, the Bible does say a man who does not provide for his family is worse than, you ever hear this, worse than an infidel. Which means he's worse than someone who doesn't even uh, care about his family. It's just basically, he's a terrible person. So, the challenge is this. What is, what is providing? Let, let's just break that down for a moment. Providing. In this context of what that was, it means they have food, clothing, and shelter. Now, please do not misunderstand. I'm just going to I'm going to put this out there first. I am not saying there's anything wrong with having things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being materially successful. I'm going to talk about what we used it for, because sometimes this pursuit, we said it's spiritual, it's godly. The American dream, ready, is not a godly pursuit. How we use those things is the godly pursuit. So we look at this and we're willing to trade all this. And then we come back here and we got the corporate ladder. And man, we started, we started low. And we, we man, we're mailroom. We're like sweeping the lots. And we climbed up and climbed up. But we notice as it gets up, it gets more messier the closer you get to the top. And this consumes up. If I just get to here or I just get to here, whoo, I'll have it made. But you find out here and here have the same problems as here. They're just magnified. 
and we're running after this stuff. It's what we want. Back to provision. In 1960s, a research analyst, Molly Orshansky, created the basic form of the U.S. uses to determine the amount of money sufficient to live on. It's basically food for a family times three. So whatever it costs your family for food times three, because food was a third of the income. The U.S. Census Bureau, as of 2007, said just to live, to maintain, you could live in America on $21,027 for a family of four. $21,027 on a family of four. Some of you are like, excuse me, that's my electric bill. I get that. I understand that. And I'm not knocking it. What I'm saying is this. You can. We can. We could. But this is our pursuit. The two-bedroom wasn't enough. Gotta have six. And if I got six bedrooms, I gotta have four bathrooms. That little Ford Fairmont wasn't enough. This four wheel drive. Bose surround system and an L C D that drops down in the back so we can watch movies in our backyard, which makes no sense. The first hundred grand wasn't enough. If I had all this, then I'm finally secure. My family. I, I just I just want the kids to be able to go to go to the best schools because the best schools guarantee they're going to be great people, right? Absolutely not. But I just want them to be happy, so we spoil the heck out of them and turn them into little brats. Jesus had a boat. Jesus had a boat. His disciples all had boats. I am called to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Can I make disciples without a boat? I don't think so. Listen, if, if you're out on deadliest catch, I get that. I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm saying the pursuit of these over the pursuit of Christ is. The problem is, church, that we have lost our mission. What if this? David Platt said this. I love this. If you haven't read David Platt, he's a guy out of Birmingham. I've had the pleasure of sitting in his church and just listening to him. He's just got some really good ideas. He says this. The goal of the American dream is to make much of us. The goal of the gospel is to make much of God. One more time. The goal of the American dream is to make much of us. The goal of the gospel is to make much of God. We've been given these things and all blessings for the purpose of bringing God glory and making disciples. Well, what, what if this? Let's go back here. We're not saying this is wrong. But what if you had a house and the goal of that house was to bring people into fellowship? Right? What if it was to be a place of hospitality or whenever people needed shelter? You got, remember, you got those six bedrooms and the four bathrooms, right? They could stay there. Or maybe you only have the two bedrooms and one bath, but you can still fit people in your living room. You bring them in. I got such a small house. Okay. Jesus had no place to rest his head. We're okay there, all right? What if the house became a tool for evangelism, a tool for missional living, a tool for community living? What if that became that? What if on top of that, we looked at this car? We said, yeah, it's a car. It's dependable. It gets me placed A to B and all that, and it's wonderful. But what if instead of this just being a vehicle that, you know, we can crank the window down and look cool and, and, and blast our tunes and everything else. But what if this became to take people and yourself to places where they need the gospel? Or, or, or is used. We, we know, Whit and I know a lady in, uh, in Houston, Texas. She went out and she had a family of three. And all of a sudden she shows up with a 15-passenger van. Like, what are you doing? I talked about it a few weeks ago. She's like, oh, there's these, these skater kids. They, don't, they can't get to church. And so I'm going to pick them up. And sure enough, every Wednesday night she's picking up these kids. That was what her vehicle was for. What if you use that vehicle to be able to bless people? I have friends in West Texas. Whenever people come in town, they have vehicles they give away uh, so they can use them missionaries while they're home on furlough. Isn't that cool? That's someone who gets it. What if on top of that? What if, what if the spouse wasn't just to have, you know, uh, the trophy wife or the trophy husband, however it may be. Uh, but this, this relationship was to model Christ in the church. So everybody saw it and said, whoa, 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 what's going on there? Man, listen, Ephesians 5, let me just break it down for you. 
God has told me to love my wife like this. And I'm told to respect my husband. We're told to walk in unity and to share Christ. What if that was the purpose of your relationship instead of getting mine, giving theirs, or just making them happy? On top of that, talk about your kids. And what if you took these kids and you raised them to be godly warriors for Jesus Christ and they were to go out and said, listen, one day you're going to impact the nations. One day you're going to do something powerful. One day God is calling. God is calling you right now, matter of fact. Stand up, be a godly person, and you pour into them. What if that was the purpose with kids instead of them making, you know, Team A on the local t-ball team? Nothing wrong with Team A. Never made it, but nothing wrong with it. But what if that was the purpose instead? What if the purpose of expendable income was to resource the work of God around the world? What if the purpose of, okay, I need this much to live and I have this much left over, what if we begin to get crazy generous? We're above 21,000, according to the Census Bureau, we can live. And what if we begin to get rid of debt and do all this and we begin to say, hey, this right here, I'm about to get crazy with it. I'm about to start blessing people. They don't even have to know who I am. What, what if? Just what if? What if? And what if with toys? Don't get me wrong. I love boats. It's awesome. But whatever it is, your toys, what if they're used to bless people? Take people in and say, hey, listen, you know what? I know you like to go to the ball game. Here's some seats. Hey, man, I, I know you like to hang out. Hey, come on down. And, and I, I met some people once. I had the most beautiful lake house, but it was restricted to anybody except for their immediate family. I said, oh, dear God, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry for you. The blessing you could have had. You're like, Sean, I don't have a lot of stuff. You got a, you got a grill in your backyard? That's a cool place to gather. Throw some burgers on it and invest in people. See, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying how we use it, perhaps, and what it, the place it takes in our lives. Because, again, as we said, we have outsourced reaching people for Christ so we can pursue our own ambition. I get, basically, it goes like this. I get people to come to church. Pastors do the preaching, saving, baptizing, and small group leaders do the discipleship. I did my part. I got them in the doors. Like corralling people to get them in. Absolutely not. And I say this, and please understand this. The church should be one of the last places people come to receive Jesus Christ. It should be across the booth at Denny's. It should be sitting in your living room. It should be in the cubicle next to us. It should be on the walks that we do and at the gym. That's where people come to Christ. They come here to grow and be part of a community so we can go out and reach the world. We can put our resources together. All this stuff comes together. I got this. I got this. Acts 2, 42 to 47. We throw it all together and say, what can we do? That's how we were commanded to live. This morning, understand this. The best thing anyone who is without Christ can see is Christ flowing through you in your words, actions, and deeds. We used to leave the house every morning, and my mom would say this to us. We hated it until we realized what she meant. She goes, hey, kids, just remember, you're the only Bible some of these guys will ever read. Talk about a heavyweight. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Have a good day. But you know what? Even then, it's, it's a drop in the bucket of what we do give. Christian church members, finances, just their overall finances are over $30 trillion a year. But the amount given to Christian causes is $545 billion. That's 1.78% of our total finances given to any Christian cause. And I'm not just talking money. I'm talking about everything. But what if we got serious? What if we got crazy? Parents, please, one of the biggest things you have, the greatest resource you have is your children. Please release them to mission. Don't lock your children into your homes. Prepare them for the work of God outside it. When we lock children inside it, but I have this goal and I want that. I don't want to see them get hurt. But God, God loves them more than you do. I've worked in student ministry for 15 years, and I've seen it. I've seen parents preparing and releasing their kids for ministry. It is powerful, and it is a message. You can do this. Go get it. Go after it. You can make this happen. God has called you. It is powerful. Release yourself. Get out there. Be extreme. It's okay. This is how Christians live. We don't live sitting here swallowed up and, you know, hovering over you. We are releasing you to the work of God. Parents, please, please, please do that. Build up our next generation of warriors. Build up our godly army. Build up the people who will infect this community with the love of Jesus Christ and also the hands and the feet. Please do that. Grandparents, please do that. They listen to you. They listen to you. Tell them. Love them. Encourage them. And do not be overwhelmed by the needs of the world, but see each need as an opportunity for us to engage. John 4, 35. 
Do not say yet there are four months until the harvest. And behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they're right unto harvest. What farmer would look at his field right now and say, oh, no, <laughs> look at all that corn. It's like bending over the stalks. What am I going to do? Look at that wheat. It is so much. There is so much wheat in my field. I don't even know what to do. What farmer would say that? No. Especially right now with drought conditions. Farmer's like, woo! Corn and wheat, corn and wheat. That's his song. He's going out there. He's like, dry, you know, like the, the little happy checks things driving the combine out there on the commercial. That's him. He's just happy, man. He's like, I'm making money today. He's just happy. Yet, we as Christians look out into the world and we say, there's so much to do. It's so overwhelming. Oh, what do I do? Get in your tractor and drive. Get out there. The problem is this. We've sat there and we don't realize we have the answer. Broken families, poverty, people hurting. We have the answer. And we're sitting back in our farmhouses, scared to death to go out where the richest harvest is. God forbid that we do that. And we've got to quit making excuses. What can one person do? They can invest in one life, make one disciple. They can fulfill their mission. Again, I said Hudson Taylor, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, C.T. Studd. These guys who just said, I don't know what I can do, but I'm going to go out. And they radically transformed the way that missions is done in the world. I've been in Africa and lived there, and I've looked at the results of one person getting out of their comfort zone, traveling across the ocean, planting their feet and said, I will not move until God tells me to move. And they share the gospel with abandon. I've seen that. And we are seeing a continent come alive in the continent of Africa that is going to blow our mind in the next 10 years. Watch for the cause of Jesus Christ. Quit making excuses. Don't ask. Please hear me. Don't ask if God has called you to a mission, foreign or domestic. Assume that he has and pray for him to show you that he has not. Do not ask, God, have you come? No, assume he has. Start going in that direction and say, God, if you want me to stop, I'll stop. That is one of the scariest things I've ever been told in my life, and yet it is one of the most real things we must do, and we must work together. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. This is our final scripture. I was wrapped today, but I want us to get it. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. And he's talking about the body of Christ and the use of spiritual gifts. Paul talking to the church of Corinth, letting them know, hey, listen, here's the deal. It's not an individual thing. It's us together, we together, the community going forward, harnessing our resources, harnessing our pursuits, all those things that we desire, harnessing our hearts and our gifts and abilities. And here's what he said. He said, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 12. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He said, use your gifts together. The enemy has us going in so many different directions that we have little time to sit down face to face, shoulder to shoulder, and just do life. We don't even know who's next to us in the body. We must change that. We don't know the passions and gifts of the persons we sit next to each week at church. We don't know who is hurting and who has needs. As a church, we are called to do community together. It's not, this isn't just a place to gather and hear a sermon and hear some great singing. This is a place where we gather together and say, what can we do? Harness it. What do we got? What's going on? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. How can I encourage you? How can I uplift you? You can do that. I can do this. Let's do it together. That's the body of Christ. So it's time to get creative. We've got to get creative. We live in a world... And sometimes people are like, well, what are you going to do? I, I think this thing we're doing with the Kroger gift card, I think it's, it's creative. You shop. Everybody shops. If you don't know about this, basically a percentage goes. Uh, whenever you uh, use your Kroger card, you line it up. There's papers out there that tells you how to do that. Every time you use it, money will come to the church each week, and we use that on global mission efforts. Isn't that cool? You're going to shop anyways. And not that I'm saying Kroger's better than anyone else, but they do have a great gluten-free section, so we do like that. But uh, take this. This is creative. What about raising money to help missionaries offset their debt? There's so many missionaries right now ready to go to the field, but they have school debt from college. They can't pay it off. What if, we, what if, what if, what if God laid it on your heart? You're just good at raising money. That's your, that's your niche. You're, you just, when it comes to raising money, it like flows out of you. 
He said, I'm going to do that. I'll raise 100 grand. I'm going to help offset five missionaries' debt. And you release them to the field tomorrow. Ooh. What about so exposing children to the world and allow God to move? What about micro-business development for communities? We were just in Hamilton the other day. It broke my heart. I've got to be honest. We drove through a section of Hamilton that just broke my heart. And I know there's other communities around here. But development in those communities. What about volunteering for local mentoring programs? Uh, adoption fund for potential adoptive parents. I know we have a heart for that. It's even a budget line for us. Support national pastors. Export your expertise. Grace Baptist Church, right down the road, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are doing a thing with a local tennis tournament. And they have people who are volunteering. And they're volunteering their time. And all the money that comes out of that, they're giving to, uh, they're giving to the missions. You can sign up at our welcome table. You can be a part of that. We want to help them do that. And it's time to get urgent. What if we all accepted our personal responsibility? We were called to go into all the world with the primary purpose of being ambassadors for Christ. We are called to shift our priorities to advance God's agenda. We are called to seek ye first the kingdom. We're called to live in community with other believers so we can work together, learn together, and go together. We are called to stand up for the weak and hurting, whether they deserve it or not. We are called to be diligent about knowing God's word in ways so we can copy them and be his ambassadors accurately. We must look for opportunities and not just wait. Investigate what needs to be done, where does it need to be done. Support each other as we go. Oh, I, I, they're not doing that's so I've done that five years ago support them anyways encourage them cheer them on supply people power finances skills to help them accomplish the mission act with passion and purpose because we must see God's world as, uh, see the world as God's passion and make God's passion our own the future of missions will be highly dependent on what you do with your personal mission our purpose is to make the glory of God known and make disciples we must refuse to give up get distracted or go numb we have been given a mission, mission which, which must take center stage, top priority, and be given our best effort during our 78.2 years on earth. It's a mission that was given to small band and women, uh, men and women before. And the 2,000 years since the mission was given, the ripple effect of those that, it carried it, that carried it out has radically changed the world, and it will do it again if we take it as our own. I want to end tonight, this morning, with this prayer. And what I'd like to pray together is to come up on the screen. And this is just, if you say, you know what, I do. I want to know. I want to know, God, what do you have for me? This is what I desire. We're just going to pray this prayer together, and we're going to close. This is your opportunity to respond right here. So we're going to have Kyle come in a moment. This is your opportunity. If you pray this prayer, you're inviting God to do something in your life, to show you things that maybe you just didn't know, or, show, or re-enliven those things. It said, dare to dream again in the video before, which I thought was so on point. Wake up. Let's get after it. Let's do this thing that we were called to do, our primary purpose in this world. So together, let's pray. And you, yes, you can pray with your eyes open. That's an okay thing. Here we go. Together. God, I want to know your truth, even if it means I have to change. I'm willing to learn whatever you show me and to do whatever you have planned for me. In your name we pray. Amen.